this week's episode of Planet Positive. My name is Julian Guderlei. Our virtual gathering today and this week features Yero Craner. Hi, Yero. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, a bit more about Planet Positive. We're a global think tank, a venture capital advisory and accelerator serving to address humanity's most pressing needs and its symbiotic existence with nature. Every week we feature committed planetary visionaries, people who are dedicated to the progress and encourage planet positive impact in the world. And uh, Yero Craner founded Hatch, connecting global influencers to accelerate solutions for the UN SDGs. And he also founded H360.ai, a machine learning impact collaboration platform, a network of networks. And so with these words, welcome Yero, and um, yeah, feel free to take over, share, share a, a deep dive into Hatch and H360. Well, thank you, Julian. Uh, I already love this community just from the intros and it's a really diverse group and obviously committed to hatching a better world, which is my personal mantra and, and mission in life. Um, I grew up in Montana and I'm, I'm here again. I took a little stint in Los Angeles for about nine years. Um, a little backstory. I, I was raised by a single parent mom who left an abusive relationship and like 25 cents in her pocket said she was going to the grocery store and, and, ended up working three or four jobs to put herself through her family's first college degree. And so I always kind of considered her a superhero of sorts. And uh, when she, for a couple of years, like every house we lived in was bulldozed because they were condemned and it was like really government subsidized housing. And we ended up, uh, her first job when she graduated was on the Rocky Boy Indian Reservation. And Julian, you and I were having just a little bit of conversation about Native populations. Um, I was the only white kid in that whole school, so I moved there playing cello, and I left there lifting weights and and kind of uh, fighting for survival a little bit. I got they called me a little custard, and if I could get home at the end of each day, I could make it unscathed. But that happened only about you know every other day. Um, so I left there with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, and I ran into some of those kids a couple years later. I'd kept growing, they'd stopped growing. And uh, there was a moment where I felt like there was this kind of a perfect uh, opportunity for retribution. And, and I, I just remember this sort of like viscerally, but it was like a sophomore in high school, had these images flashed to my mind of, you know, hundreds of years of, of hate and where that came from and injustice. And just at that age, I just remember thinking like you're either part of the chain or you can break that chain. and. And I uh, just realized, you know, the white male, how lucky I had been to even have that experience to understand, you know, racism from the other side. And so I, I walked by and just said, good to see you guys and kept, kept moving. Um, but I feel like that, that opportunity to, to live, you know, on that reservation has kind of had a big impact on shaping my own um, desire to go find people that are on the fringe and bring them together. And, you know, Hatch has always been around curating diversity. And I'll get back, you know, more to that in a second. But someone just mentioned uh, Buckminster Fuller. And I just, I'm going to play something really quick. A little, share my screen. And I just found it really interesting. There's these, there's this quote that he said in 1928, technology can save the world from itself provided it's properly used. And then here we are, you know, 50 years later, 
we will not be able to operate our spaceship Earth for much longer unless we recognize that all of us aboard share a common fate. And you just talked about, you know, the social dilemma, which is on a lot of people's minds. I just watched it for the first time last night. And, and even though I felt like I'm pretty uh, educated on a lot of the, the tech and, and in fact have, you know, H360 was in some case, cases uh, a response to the, the data breach that we all experience every day. I was still shocked. There's, it's uh, it's deep and wide, and I'd be curious to see how this shakes out in the next few years. Um, I have a little bit of background in in platforms and building communities. When I moved from Montana to Los Angeles, I started this company inspired by real life superheroes. I met this scientist that was on this team to piece the ozone layer back together. And I met this composer that was teaching deaf kids how to read and play music. And every day for the next couple, you know, I had asked myself, like, I thought I was moving to the epicenter of creative genius. Where are they? And then you just started showing up. And it was like one of those exercises of, you know, asking the universe and, and then they just start unveiling them. And that platform, uh, it started as really showcasing real life superheroes that weren't just athletes and entertainers, but educators and scientists. And, and then kind of the part two of it was, talking to kids about unleashing their own inner superhero. And then by, you know, through a series of questions, we would define what that is. And they would, you know, once they kind of met, um, once they kind of get coherence around what that is, but then that makes them unique and then what the world needs most, all the molecules in their bodies start to conspire to manifest that best self. And we started seeing these really interesting transformations over you know, a couple of years and getting letters from parents and child psychologists. And we grew that to about a million and a half people. Um, there was also kind of a, a bait and switch, you know, it started with gamification. And then once we kind of had them on the move up this stock exchange, which is called the karma counter, you would get a prompt that says, how do you save the world? Start with where you are, type in your zip code. And so this is like 2000 now, 2001. And they type in the zip code and they'd be given 10 things they can do within a a three mile radius where they lived and, and get a return on all these really cool opportunities, park reclamations, neighborhood cleanups, matching them with nonprofits. And we had 10 and a half billion knowledge nuggets of volunteer hours in one year of that program. And then uh, we got acquired by Fox Studios. And I had actually voted against the acquisition, didn't have control and interest anymore. I felt like we we're at this really interesting precipice, but um, you know, the whole concept of how do you save the world start with where you are has continued to follow me. And then, you know, many years later, well, actually many months later, when I came back to Montana to kind of figure out what was next, I was trying to figure out uh, next, next chapter and realized the Fox bought a brand and, and that's when Hatch was, was started. And uh, Hatch, a better world, um, you know, we all want to have this impact on the world, but we have to start with ourselves. And in order to hatch a better world, we have to hatch our best selves and then hatch, you know, families, communities, this kind of concentric circles out. Um, I'll play a little video. Um, I'm going to reshare my screen with the audio. And uh, as I do that, this is a spoken word poet that uh, I'm very fond of, and I asked him to put together, like, what does Hatch mean to him? And this is what he came up with.
earth. Humanity, humbling and beautiful, magical and mystical. But we all know the world isn't always the beautiful place we wish it was. Climate crisis, gender equality, human rights, hunger, homelessness, access to education, violence in schools, mental health, and more. Yet it gives me great hope to know there exists among us extraordinary humans with real life superpowers rising up in the darkest of hours. These heroes with these powers, they're not Batman, they're not Superman or Wonder Woman. They're on the front lines fighting on the injustices of our world. They are pushing the rock up the mountain of impossible odds an epic global battle of good and evil risking daily to navigate upheaval. This isn't a comic book. This is real life. Here, now, today. I know because I've met them. I know because I am one. I know because so are you. That's the good news. But the bad news is we are running out of time. The race between consciousness and catastrophe is on. We are quickly closing in on the point of no return. That is to say, the threshold cross where too much damage has been done to save our planet for generations to come. So to the heroes of this world, we're coming for you. We need you. All hands on deck. Superheroes of the world unite. Human potential. The math is exponential. NASA engineers musicians, disruptors of tech, educators, scientists, time for a gut check. Collaboration is the currency of our future success. Let's build a network of networks and fully coalesce. Cross-pollination is the key. Diversity by which we can see designing solutions to challenges we face. Creativity is the hope to save the human race. On the horizon, a glowing bright light our youth, the next generation, has grown wings and taken flight. One hand is on the steering wheel, the other hand on a pen, ideating solutions so we don't repeat mistakes time and again. We need every superhero. So it starts with you. Unleash that inner superhero, for we are the pebbles in this pond of life and the ripples we create. Expand farther than you know. How do you save the world? Start with where you are. Let's hatch a better world. So one of the you know, thesis that we have at Hatch is that if you have a bunch of area experts scanning a problem, you're going to get a 2D output of that problem. And if you start to bring in diverse perspectives, uh, we get, you know, Hatch is now 17 years old. This would have been the fall of our 25th summit. Uh, we curate 125 people at a time. It's a little bit like a chemistry set. Uh, the, the idea that human potential is exponential, you can put 100 people together and and if the right collaborations occur, you can impact the lives of 100 million. And so, you know, diversity in disciplines, industries, minds, generations, and perspectives, uh, ethnicities, and you start to get more of a three-dimensional holographic output of that problem, daylighting blind, blind spots and, and accelerating solutions. And so these labs that we get called to do, you know, one time we did a lab for a big tech company and we, we were given eight people that we could curate to come in and create this experience. And, you know, one of them was a, a cellist and he's like, you know, we give you eight slots. Like, why did you bring a cellist? We're, you know, what we're trying to solve for like, well, yeah, but music is math. 
and this man, you know, he's a, he's a genius mathematician. And these, you know, a toy inventor of the year. It's like, these are the kind of wildcard thinkers that uh, we bring together to really start working on some of these big challenges in, 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 in uh, accordance with the UN SDGs. I mean, it's a, you know, not a perfect framework, but it's a, a framework. And uh, so, you know, pre-COVID, Hatch was summits, labs, and an accelerator. And sometime in the second week of March, I woke up um, with a little bit of an oh shit, like this is going to get really serious. And I had a kind of a mini panic on all of our revenue streams were going to, you know, to disappear because we're in the business of convening. And, and then I thought like, well, if I'm feeling like this, <laughs> a lot of people are feeling like this. So we started kind of pivoting our programming and popped up something called the, the global living room. Um, and the global living room really became, uh, it started as a, an invitation for collective sense-making. And, and through that, you know, we started bringing, I'm sure you've seen this bell curve on how people move through crisis at a different rate. Uh, some people need oxygen masks on themselves for much longer. Others start to move into solutions mode and start rolling up their sleeves and want to solve things and get to work. And we watched that happen uh, within the global living room. We've done about 30 of them now, but for the first couple, it was just, you know, it was heartwarming to see people like, like this community coming on screen from multiple countries and, you know, across this country, uh, the States. And, uh, but then we started moving into reimagining, you know, reimagining capitalism, reimagining regenerative philosophies used in business, reimagining all sorts of systems, the future of work, the future of education, and for that, then we started launching something called the Impact Labs, which brought together 150 people from around you know, 12 countries and 20 teams to work on these four topics. And those topics were the future of education, equity and racial justice, uh, the environment and climate change, and mobilizing the vote. And those 20 solutions that came out after a seven-week design sprint were really kind of humbling. It was a total experiment. We didn't know if it was going to work. Uh, it was it was incredibly powerful and now those uh for the last kind of pitch session we brought in amplification funding implementation partners as first look so that they could kind of see which ones they might want to put their shoulder behind um so you know i started building out this tech a few years ago with uh, a couple um you know mentors of mine and and just really thinking about the network of networks and how you know we're, we're all connected in these living systems. And even in the global living room, we started bringing in systems thinkers like Richard Capra and Terry Irwin and you know, uh, people that are, could really, and John Canyon, the six condition, conditions of systems change um, to start really laying the groundwork for how we move through these large, I mean, this is a, COVID has created this incredible window of opportunity for us uh, to, and you know, part of me wants to kind of keep this window open a little bit longer so that we all can grow from the learnings and then try to reimagine some of these systems. There's a real interesting, you know, John Hagel, who runs Deloitte Center for the Edge, um, he's a longtime mentor like to Steve Jobs and Nolan Bushnell and, and now to, you know, current tech CEOs. I called him and I was like, John, are, are your clients calling you right now? And he's like, yeah, I'm like, what are they asking? And he said, well, they're, they're asking how to get back to normal. And, and I said, well, what do you tell them? And he's like, not to get back to normal. Uh, normal was broken. 
And with that, you know, um, knowing that normal's broken and knowing that, you know, we've all seen the images of China and India as the earth was given this, this kind of breather, this reprieve, you know, there's one person in my network has a company in India. He has 65,000 employees that travel from two hours outside of the city center into the city center every single day. And for the first couple of months of COVID, they weren't traveling and he completely retooled his whole business. And now these 65,000 people have another four hours in their day uh, with their families. And, and it's just kind of, you start thinking about that times 300 days in a year times how many companies are considering that remote work. All of the data was suggesting that remote work would be 80% in eight to nine years. And now suddenly that's like in our lap. And so how do we create more uh, human ways to remotely collaborate? And I know that, you know, we're all experiencing a lot of Zoom and Zoom fatigue and, but there's also, you know, there's incredible benefits that we're recognizing and, and uh, even the hybrid model of being able to do these things in person and still be able to beam in from Amsterdam, like you know, Maria did. And, and, you know, people that can only have two hours, but they're on the other side of the planet, but we still get to be gifted, you know, the wisdom exchange. So I'll be really curious to see what, where the kind of rubber band snaps back, where it starts to settle. Um, we've been kind of working towards some future proof ideas in that sense, you know, regardless. Um, I'll give you a quick little peek at the, uh, this, this platform that we started building. And, you know, the original intention of it was because we would do these labs um, during the summits and in between the summits. And, you know, Sylvia Earle, uh, who's kind of like the Jane Goodall of the oceans, uh, her deepness, they call her. Um, you know, we would do a lab with Sylvia Earle around oceanic health and how do we create more empathy for this next generation. There's a whole next gen youth program within Hatch. And, and, and it's always, you know, I'm like, okay, you, we should connect you with this person and this person and this person. And I'm like the walking directory of my own community. And to a certain degree, it becomes a bottleneck. I'm like old school operator switchboard. And I just started thinking about, you know, how many, how many, how much human potential we're sitting on that we're not even tapping into. And I start having conversations with other companies like, oh yeah, we're, we spend an incredible amount of resources searching to find someone that can solve for X, Y, and Z within our company. We do these global searches, you know, nine times out of 10, we find them like right down the hallway in our building. And so all of these different anecdotes start uh, coalescing around the need for a social platform that respects your data, that you own your own data and can really tap into the full potential of your own organization. So like the human potential and the organizational potential um, and then operate, you know, as this kind of power in these separate entities that are like planets on a solar system, but then give them the opportunity to push projects into a center of collaboration sphere and share a database of impact projects. Then suddenly, because I started thinking like, even if Hatch, you know, which is a very small kind of boutique community, um, hit its own kind of potential ceiling, we're not going to move the needle on, you know, or, or like losing this battle between consciousness and catastrophe. And so, it's, you know, as, as Steve Connell said in the poem, it's like all, all hands on deck moment in time. So we started building out this, this platform and uh, 
Can you guys see that? Or eventually? Yep, it's coming in. And, you know, there's the SDG.org, this data hub, they have 750,000 uh, plus, you know, impact projects sitting in a database and they don't communicate with each other. There's not really an opportunity for you to be able to stack these projects and look at them and recognize where there's redundancies and duplication of efforts where there might be, you know, an expert from this hatch network that could come together with an expert from your network that could come together on solving these, these challenges. And so the idea of connecting talents and skills, passions, projects, um, and also companies are recognizing that this next generation is so purpose-driven that it's a competitive advantage. Uh, they're going to lose out on the best talent if they don't have easy on-ramps to purpose and impact within their own companies. And so the idea that you're able to mobilize workforce toward the projects of impact um, and employee engagement and you know, transforming human capital management to human capital op optimization is was kind of the original vision, but also triangulating these different kind of use cases around uh, this centralized database of impact. Uh, and so that's kind of like, you know, a what if uh, this network of networks, right? You have non nonprofits and NGOs, you have private companies, you have grants and foundations, um, sharing a database where they can start to see visibility around where their specific gifts and, and, and people within their network can uh, can activate. Um, I'll, I'll just run you through a quick little demo and then I'll pause and we can have it be a little bit more interactive. Uh, let's see. And in the meantime, if there are already some questions for Yarrow, you can feel free to write them in the chat as well so we don't lose track of them. Awesome. So this is, this is the mobile kind of your, your basic interface. These are all modules. We're going to continue to, to add modules and the community itself can kind of decide which modules are useful for them. They can turn them off if they don't want them. Um, a, a profile looks like this. Um, once it fills in, I do have kind of, I'm right at the edges of a very slow internet on the edge of town here. Um, give me two seconds here. All the data in those profiles are hot. So, and you know, the, the, the name, the, the company, the skill sets, the passions, the causes that you're, that you're, that are important to you. And as you start to, um, fill in your profile it becomes more robust, the AI can kind of go to work and learn about you and as, as the, they said in the social dilemma, I took a, a, a screenshot of it last night, but if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. And this, in this case, this is not an ad-driven model. Uh, it's a you know, membership-based model where an organization can have a rev share on the membership fee that they choose, uh, or for the enterprise, it's a SaaS model. It becomes something that they can utilize for CSR and HR. Um, but it's a more human way of telling a story. It's like, you know, I had no idea that Peter played guitar or that Julian was, you know, passionate about uh, gender equity. And so you have these causes that you fill out, you have projects that you're involved with or that you're, you know, following content recommendations and all that stuff feeds into a, a unique kind of digital thumbprint. And as you customize your causes, and you can also just type in normal words and it will match you to, you know, the 17 SDGs and the 169 sub targets. Uh, you save that to your profile and you can kind of go 
take a, a view of what projects are in the library. And this is an example of one that's uploaded. It's around clean water. Uh, they have 50 seats available. You can kind of customize that. You can make them closed or open. Your community can upvote the ones that they're really uh, inspired by. So you can get a heat map of interest. Like 90% you know, of our, our network is really passionate about this particular project. Like maybe we should put a little bit of a shoulder behind it. You can set up uh, meetings. There's different roles, leaders, experts, members, tag SDGs and, and tags and, and then add what, you, you know, what this project needs. Then the, like a mycelial network, the, the, the deep learning machine learning goes to work and starts bringing you a queue of people down here at the bottom that it thinks will be helpful or useful for your particular project. Um, click of a button, you kind of see who's involved in those projects and see if it's a good kind of use case for you. Uh, project outlines and, and creative briefs and so forth. Tasks, one-off or recurring. And then the conversations can be organized by uh, topics. So you can switch from messages kind of you know, chronological or topics which are the things that you kind of tag or file under. And so you know, Peter and I might have four or five different projects we're working on together and Julian and I might have you know, nine or 10, uh, but it keeps those organized accordingly. And then another really simple but very useful mechanic is this ask. Like at Hatch, we always do this ask offer. Like, what are you working on? What do you need? And in this case, I'm looking for an expert that does X, Y, and Z, or, you know, just a couple weeks ago, someone within the, the Hatch Network posted uh, that they were looking for um, someone at REI. And so 48 hours later, they're on the uh, phone with the chair of the board of REI. And you can stack these filters too. So if you're looking specifically for someone who is a programmer, knows Java, PHP, is located in a sp you know, specific place, you're passionate about X, Y, and Z, you can uh, search for those, stack the filters. And then this particular uh, piece right here is on our dev plan, but it's not built out yet. We're still in the middle of a raise right now. Um, but the idea would be that you hop off a plane and you set an itinerary, hop off a plane in New York, and those are gonna be there for three days and it just auto-populates things that it thinks will be of interest to you. There's a museum gallery opening, benefiting climate change, dinner for six happening within people with your network, uh, you're invited on the east side. There's an impact project in a borough nearby if you wanna donate a couple hours. Uh, there's a concert with a band that's very similar to one of your favorite bands. And so, you know, the, the, the original inspiration for this, these are moments, this is the, the AI alchemy, writes you a sentence on why it's bringing you this person. Um, you know, originally it was to power communities and we started thinking about the triangulation for that and uh, mobilization of employees and, and then the idea of really kind of uh, building a network of networks. Down here, you're able to set itineraries and there's a place for, you know, conversations and meetups around that. So you're kind of saving on the signal to noise ratio of all these things that you don't necessarily want to have to see. And, you know, on the way into a private Facebook group, you're still inundated with political ads and cat videos. Um, and then this down here, you're able to curate these different blocks of content with the things that are important to you, kind of like a flipboard model. Uh, so, and this is what, and we want this to be a more human way of telling a story about a person on the internet and the browser base, which is still in development right now, um, looks a little bit like this as a profile. You have skills and passions here, cohorts, uh, content that you're featuring or that you're or featured in, um, asks that you have, causes, projects, cohorts, North Star. And so that's, 
that's kind of the one of the things I'm really excited about is this notion that we're able to help organizations kind of tap into the full potential within their own their own um, ecosystem, but then optional, they can kind of tap into or push projects into uh, the central collaboration sphere and everyone can kind of start putting the shoulder behind some of these global challenges. So I'll, I'll, I'll stop there for comments or questions. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for the walkthrough of the app as well. That looks very, uh, very well fleshed out and very in-depth and detail. I'm sure there, there are a lot of questions. So um, maybe let's open the floor. I, I pinned a few things as well, which I found exciting in what you shared, Yarrow. Um, we can come back to that around future of education and how we learn from the past. But I want to hear first from other people um, what questions are alive in regards to Hatch and the app we just saw, maybe even the race that these guys are in. Um, maybe partners first, Shane, Peter, Allen. Um, I see all of you on my screen here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um... Well, um, you know, first of all, thank you so much. That was a um, fascinating presentation. And uh, it's really inspiring to see you building a platform that allows, um, you know, the right people to, to collaborate and be able to find each other and then um, make it easy for them to coordinate action. So that's really inspiring. And um, so I can I, uh, I really honor and respect the work you're doing. And I couldn't help but feel like on some level, it's it's got an element of slack to it, but just you know, a whole a whole new level of of usefulness than that for for impactful collaboration. So, so you're doing great work. And I guess the one question I would have for those on the call that might be interested um, is, you know, where are you with your current raise? And um, and uh, yeah, uh, how much are you raising, and what are, what do the terms look like? Well, we were in we were in the in a raise pre-COVID, and that just kind of got paused. We're about to spin that back up again. We're raising three and a half million right now, okay. and we're probably another three of that three and a half. And uh, uh, it's a series seed round, and we've you know we have some really interesting investors. One of our investors is a co-founder of Eventbrite. Um, we have some you know. I was able to kind of make a few phone calls at the very beginning uh, to get this thing off the ground and funded. I made eight phone calls. All seven said yes and couldn't because they had a non-compete. Um, and, and now we're starting to kind of, kind of intentionally like move outside of our own network because we want to expand and, you know, mention it to bring people in that really share a certain ethos. I mean, it has a, has significant revenue potential. Um, you know, one use case that, We've that I find really interesting. Like you have SAP that's got 110,000 employees. It's serviced by a small CSR group of 10, and they're still doing it fairly manually. They're reaching out to employees and emailing them and asking them what sort of things are important to them. And the idea of automating and bringing a queue that then empowers the that workforce to kind of figure out uh, which ones are most resonant to them. They can give them an opportunity to kind of do their own due diligence. Taking that real that fulcrum of weight off of that small team is, is rather exciting. I think my own personal uh, kind of passion is, is really around impact and, and de-siloing and cross-pollinating uh, the different departments within a company, but also the companies with other companies. Um, one example of that, like last year, we partnered up with a group called Soul Buffalo and co-curated a group of 150 executives 
uh, most of which were some of the largest creators of plastics in the world. Um, we took them out on the boat off the shore of the Bahamas, this plastic gyre in the sea with some historically adversarial relationships, Greenpeace, Ocean Conservancy, <laughs> uh, World Wildlife Fund, and basically like nobody could leave the boat, right, for three and a half days. And it was really around solving for ocean plastics. And we got them in the water. It was very, you know, pulling fish out, splitting them open, showing the microplastics. And, you know, they're now finding as all these plastics are out in the ocean grinding um, into these like microbeads, there's now finding microplastics in the, you know, in the river streams of Montana and Colorado, which is frightening because now it's in our food systems. And, and so it's a real, it's a real crisis. But uh, we ended up publishing an output report from that because it was, it was transformative. I mean, people were, you know, crying at the damage that they were seeing. And uh, so that group is, you know, I think that when you start to bring together companies like Dow, Nestle, Coca-Cola with these NGOs that a lot of magic can occur. And so I was just kind of a, you know, a living use case of that. And so that's, that's really where my sweet spot or a passion lies is that intersection of cross-pollination. And um, well, that's an amazing story. And I'm, it's, it's really inspiring to hear um, the impact you can have when you bring people together and help them understand the, the, the real practical effects that their work is having, um, you know, on the, on the environment. Um, and then um, having an event around that where they get to have a direct experience is really, is really helpful. And you and I hopefully will have a, a, a separate chat soon, but um, I have several, uh, I have several ideas for partnerships and a couple of the companies we're working with, like for example, New Day, you could integrate a way for the people who are aligned around a certain cause could invest in that really easily through New Day's financial platform and just integrate that with your app. And also, for example, RTG is coming out with an app-based test for COVID. So everyone on your on your uh, app could know like instantly once that's up and running if they have COVID or not. And that could be really helpful, um, you know, allowing people, the companies to get people you know, in groups again in, in real life. So yeah, let's have a separate chat sometime uh, about, about those possibilities. I'd, I'd appreciate that. Yeah, that sounds powerful. Cool. Thank you. And George, uh, you're friends with David McConville, is that right? Dear friends. In fact, he's the one that brought me on to the board of the Buckminster Fuller Institute. Yeah, uh, David and I are longtime friends. He's a, he's a hatcher, part of the Hatch Network. And he actually has played a, uh, and I've told him this story, a little bit of a significant role in in the evolution of this platform, which when kind of at first I was thinking about, I'm just trying to solve this problem for Hatch. How do I keep cross-pollinating all these people? And when he moved from Asheville to Oakland, uh, I flew down and had a beer with him. I was like, David, like you loved Asheville. You loved nature. Like, like, what are you doing here? And he flipped over this napkin, he drew these five lines. He's like, if this, 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 this isn't reversed in the next 18 to 19 years, we pass the point of no return. I moved here to accelerate my work. I'm like, did you say 80 to 90 years? He's like, no. I'm like, holy shit. And so on the plane ride home, I started thinking to myself, like, A, like, you know, we need to think bigger. We need to like create tools for multiple networks. And then B, I started questioning whether or not I was being selfish by being tucked away up in Montana. If I should move back to Los Angeles or San Francisco and the more kind of high collision zones and have lunch meetings every day. And I started thinking about actually moving and going through the the movements of doing that. And and then I just kind of started realizing that how much nature feeds me and I'm so focused 
when I can be out in the middle of nowhere, uh, fly to a city, have meetings, fly back to Montana. So, uh, anyways, this is yeah, yeah. David David's incredible. He's working with uh, his partner Don at Spherical, and um, truly one of the the great minds I've ever met. And then Tom Chi, who's head of the Buckminster Fuller Institute right now, is another. And I mean, all the people I've gotten the chance to meet. And I'm totally with you. You know, nature is it. And I'm wondering, uh, as Peter and I have discussed, if if um, we actually also need to build a social network that's based on nature instead of Facebook, Placebook, because where nature is healthy, humans are healthy, and we connect, yeah. we, and 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 we connect to to nature. Uh, in in a way that uh, is is positive to nature, as Amanda Joy Ravenhill says, you know, how do we make nature and humans collaborate with each other, where humans become peak healers, and the entire system goes to a whole new level of capacity. So that's one thing. And then I love what you're saying about the network of networks. I, I ran into this doing the uh, ocean plastics work I did, where I have all of these um, groups around the world working on the ocean and uh, how do we get them you know working together and you're you're right on track and one way we can leapfrog the actual herding of cats aspect of it is to create standards we have engineers working all over the world building high rises bridges tunnels they don't they don't all know each other and talk to each other but they build to a standard and if there's a failure they analyze what happened and then they change the code so I think all of that is, is you and I need to talk with Peter and everyone. Yeah, it, this is our, there, this is the game. There's earlier this year, as we kind of started moving into this reimagining phase, I started um, bringing together a bunch of thought leaders in regenerative networks like David and Bill Reed and Daniel Christian Wall and Janine Banius. And we were having this round table and, and the, the original intention was like, can we find a shared language with these groups that are all using their own kind of slightly nuanced different lexicon and terminology that's very dear to their own processes with the goal of then if we could kind of elevate that shared language of these regenerative philosophies broker uh, a meeting with bezos and elon musk and a bunch of you know john hagel's clients that and how can we you know, really put the overlay of regenerative philosophies into modern business and institution and transform those uh, you know, to have more positive impact on the planet. So I would love to continue that dialogue with you. My pleasure. And if, if we just inspired Bezos to only put products on Amazon that were biomimetic in design, there you go, we've got it. It would make his current business look like a lemonade stand and it would change the world. Amen. Indeed, a very exciting proposition, George. I, I, I love that biomimetic. It's, it's definitely, you know, the, the key line in regenerative is to learn from the regenerative process in nature as we are humans as nature with nature rather than dominating or against nature. Um, are there any other questions? I, I saw some people kind of raise their hands earlier. Let's, let's make some, some more space for that. Uh, Joe, I saw you turn on your video. Maybe there's, there's a question. Hi, I really enjoyed your presentation, Yaro. Um, have you, um, how are you dealing with the data privacy side of things? As obviously I see this is something that was 
will hold you separate from the other social networks right now. Um, so I'd like to understand what you're doing around the data privacy and happy to connect you with very dear friend Brittany Kaiser, who uh, was one of the subjects of the great hack film. And the other thing is, are you exploring how to get inside the university networks? Because they're a very powerful network of getting young people as they're leaving university. I think there's another revenue model for you because all of the big recruiters are looking for bright young things to, uh, and that might be another opportunity. Um, that's a great question. Right now, we're not, we're not in university systems or uh, it's not really even the, I love what you're saying, and I'm intrigued to, to, to dig in a little bit deeper with you. It's definitely not my, um, I'm, we have people within our network that are at MIT and Harvard and Stanford and so forth, but I haven't really approached any of them with this in mind. I, my, I guess the, my thought has been, if we can bring together some of the pre, you know, primitive thought leaders within Impact and a few large enterprise companies, you know, we have one, it's a $25 billion European company that pushed us to the best of breed, uh, EU GDPR and kind of security ballistics. It wasn't our ideal first client because of that, but it definitely made us stronger. Um, and then, the, you know, every, every client owns their own data uh, and then the people own their own data. So if you pull the plug on this platform, it all goes with you. Nothing's remaining of your footprint, so to speak. So we're just trying to solve for some of the things that, uh, you know, we're really underscored in social dilemma as being really broken and trying to figure out how we can bring people together in a way that doesn't uh, leverage them, but just provides value. Thank you. I see Aaron, you just uh, shared in the chat. Aaron Berger, do you, do you have a question? Do you want to share it? Yes, thank you. Um, I had a question there. I heard uh, 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 earlier in the presentation, we were talking about sort of audiences that can cross pollinate and uh, um, you're talking about clients. Um, I'm curious, uh, uh, what does a client look like for you? Because we saw the, uh, we saw the, uh, um, was it one use case for the platform that you were talking about there? Or is that like the whole system and then folks would kind of uh, have that one system to log into or would, different clients have different platforms that are all kind of in one ecosystem that can, you know, that can share that, uh, just looking for the, how the architecture is set up there. So it's, it's, it's like a, uh, Russian doll. Um, you, there's like one large data shell and then there's like smaller data shells underneath that. And so each, in each individual company or organization has their own planet in the solar system, so to speak and that's protected. And so the only things that you give access to are things that you push outside of your own data shell, like projects, for instance, if you make those visible or open to the larger network, then now there's an ability to be searched and, and have multiple networks leaning in on specific impact projects. Thank have you, you guys heard one of the, George, you mentioned something about um, standards. And have you heard of what Janine Banyas from the Biomimicry Institute is building with the Easy Tool? No, I haven't. Um, it's really fascinating. Let's see if I can, I'm going to try to find that here in a second. There's also uh, Michael Gosney is on this call who's got an extensive experience with uh, networks and 
um, Jeremy McCain, who works with ocean issues, and Brian von Herzen, who's a marine permaculture expert. This group, we're really pleased you've joined, Yaro, because it's, uh, it's an incredible group of potential. Well, thank you. I'm really honored to be here. As I'm looking around the room, it looks like a, an Avengers of making the world a better place. So grateful to be here. I just dropped that. Off to your, off to your video earlier, I put my green pants on the outside of my trousers. It was so inspiring. <laughs> <as> a, <laughs> but um, on a serious note, I'd love to have a chat with Peter to see how I can help Peter to help you with what you're you're looking to raise. I'm now part of a um, a finance, almost an online investment bank like marketplace, and I'm driving forward the uh, impact, sustainability, and dare I use the term ESG uh, side of that. And I think there's there are some people who are already behind ours as uh, what you might call um investors who are sitting there discreetly uh, waiting for deals um who might be really interested in what you and peter are working on and uh, creating um it's obviously it's a very early on for me there but i'd love to, to speak to peter and, and see how that might work um i'm personally trying very hard to bring my finance background to bring easy investments with significant impact in very complex spaces, everything from blended finance and structured finance to what you might call illiquid, uninvestable investments and finding ways to get investors to create a market, to create leverage, but to de-risk and to magnify impact. So um, what you're doing on the other side as well is, uh, it's wonderful. Um, and I think there could be some really, it would, I'm sure that uh, people um, who are linked to us would be really interested to they understand what you're trying to create. Um, and also I think there might be some synergies that could really, um, you know, I look at what you're doing and think, you know, the world needs it. And also if we can plug in the right investment products and investors to help make that all easier and easier to fund. Um, then I think the community and the capital can, like uh, Peter said earlier, you know, you bring together the people with the, um, with the apps and the tools and you, you just magnify for everyone. You bring the community, make it easier. So, um, Peter, I'll follow up with you and um, thank you again for that, that presentation. That was really inspiring. Uh, Will and Will, thank you so much for your generous offer. I'll definitely um, would love to have a chat with you around that. And um, yeah, thank you for sure. It's exciting times. You know, it's uh, it's been said earlier, Yaro. You shared it about you know normal returning to normal. Um, let's hopefully never return to normal because normal is broken and we we are at this precipice in our human evolution where we we get to learn from the mistakes of the past and finance and creating this golden bridge of finance into not just um, missions that are you know worthy but missions that are actually creating this connection back to a I wouldn't want to say nature centric but but a a life inspired by the intelligence of nature around us. Um, that's why, why so many of us are gathering these days. And if you can imagine it, us having this call with, with this powerful community here, at the same time, there's probably, there's probably a handful of other communities just like us gathering. So this movement is unstoppable and it's, it's up to us to make those next steps, make those steps, next steps real. Amen and uh not too much time to lose superheroes are never late always in the nick of time um, but it's definitely 
definitely time. So if there's no other question, I'd love to come back to, to you, Yaro, and ask <laughs> something you said earlier um, around you know, wildcard thinkers in regards to the future of education. So I'm just curious, um, some, of the, some of the answers that came out of your, uh, your wildcard thinkers there, what, what education um, can look like, and maybe for both children, teenagers, but also actually for all of us adults, because really we're on a journey of lifelong learning. Uh, yeah, one of my favorite use cases or, or examples rather, one of my favorite examples was um, we had an opportunity to do a, a lab with a toy company, one of the top two in the world. And, and typically, you know, when we get hired to bring, you know, it's moving someone through a sticking point or helping them kind of reshape a perspective. But we always go in there with their own secret agenda. I, I kind of view it like uh, Trojan horse. Um, we, we come in to help them with their challenge and and then usually uh it's like a two-day lab process and then halfway through that second day we're like well you know we have an agenda too and they're like well what like yeah it's to help you make a better impact on the world and i said you recognize that you have the most sophisticated one of the top two most sophisticated distribution uh systems to get toys in the hands of children all over the world and they're like yes and like imagine how else you can use that distribution line in fact what if you had uh, two people, you know, like a small division of your company that had a reframe and instead of getting toys in the hands of children, they had, uh, they're getting tools of critical thinking and problem solving in the hands of future leaders. And if that was their reframe, that lens through which they looked at how to get things into the, the hands of this next generation of leadership, imagine what that arc of your company will look like 25 years from now. It's like, you know, the Buckminster Fuller trim tab, just like tap at one degree. And over time, it has this like massive impact. And so they took our advice and, and implemented a, a small team within their own organization uh, called a global town hall meeting, discussed it. And, and so that's just, that's like one, I, I remember walking out of that just thinking like, gosh, if we could do that in, you know, eight or nine massive uh, industries at the top one or two, transportation, healthcare, education, like imagine just these small little kind of percentile nudges uh, over time. And it also reminded me of, you know, something John Hagel said, I'm like, well, how do you transform institutions? He's like, you don't, you transform the leaders within those institutions. And, and I'm like, well, how do you do that? He's like, well, through opportunity-based narratives. Like, so you're saying right now is one of the most important times in history for storytellers. He's like, yes. And, and right now, you know, our country is really moving through fear-based narratives and the opportunity-based narratives are the aspirational futures that we desire to, to manifest and co-create. And so that's, that's one, one example that comes to mind when you ask that question. I, I think um, the next-gen program, we always have 10 to 15% of any curation that we do with next-gen, even like the, the impact labs, we had 140 people in, 40 of them were next gen under 24. Um, but when you're sitting at a table with a paleontologist, an astronaut, uh, you know, an educator, and then some 16 year old kid that's got two patents on turning human waste into electricity, everyone is kind of like, holy sh like, <laughs> you know, like what have I done with my life? What was I doing when I was 16 or 17? And this, this, this evolutionary, um, the access to so much more information and the digital natives, I just feel like, each generation is kind of leveled up. And it reminds me of that Carl Sagan, uh, he's got a piece um, 
we humans are capable of extraordinary things. And he said, in the distance, no, no, I'm sorry. That was the Jane Goodall quote. She's like, thousands of years from now, a species very like ours, you know, but has evolved from ours. We'll look back and wonder how we've let all these creatures die. And yet there's still so much worth fighting for. And if we fall into apathy, then we're, we're done. So uh, anyway, just something that kind of popped in mind. And I think there was just an article that came out in the past couple of days that I think humans have killed half the species on the planet at this point. And um, we really need to turn that around immediately. It's not acceptable. Yeah. Yeah, and it, you know, it, it turns a beautiful full circle to where you started out this conversation, Yaro, which was about, you know, how you grew up with, you know, ind indigenous and, and native peoples around you. Um, one of the ways to, you know, reconcile our, all of our human indigenous roots is to understand a seven generational approach to what we do and what we create and how we think. And yeah, if we look back a thousand years in the future, I mean, that's more than seven generations. And we look at this specific time on planet Earth with microplastics polluting and with, you know, companies striving to produce the next billionaire. Um, I think we, we might, we might um, either get really depressed or, or chuckle about how simplistic this, this society still was. And so um, in these words that you shared earlier, like might we empower and encourage all superheroes to rise right now and, and you know, find this, this courage to actually collaborate and, and not just talk about collaboration. We've reached the top of the hour. So if there's anything else someone wants to share, um, please feel free. I feel deeply grateful for this session today. Thank you so much, Yaro. I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, drop one more link in. And next week is, uh, as most of you know, there, we're coming into election season. And the last election in 2016 was decided by 75,000 votes in the swing states. That's not that many. <laughs> so. We're doing an event next week and you're all welcome to join us um, to kind of mobilize and rally people around the vote. Uh, whether you live in the US or not, you still have you know, influence with people that, that do and we're focusing really on, on kind of youth and next gen. And so be happy to have you with us and, and Julian and, and Peter and Alan and the rest of you, thank you so much. It's been a real treat and what, a, what an amazing group of people you have here. Thank you so much. Um, and I would love to hear anyone's thoughts and follow up with you on the, uh, the voting issue because um, we need to mobilize everyone to those swing states and get everyone thinking uh, about how important their, their choice is this November. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your presentation. Thank you, Yara. Super inspiring. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Aloha. Love and light.